Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown and beyond. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled that you're with us. Hope you're enjoying your Saturday. Good football weekend. IU fell short if you were listening to that here on uh, 93 WIBC. Uh, hey, they had a shot, man. They were down 21 nothing at halftime. Came out, opened the second half with an onside kick. Uh Reminiscent of Sean Payton and the Super Bowl against the Colts uh, that also worked out well for the Saints at the time. But IU couldn't quite pull it off, man. They had a they had a uh, fourth and goal from about the half-yard line that could have tied it up with four minutes to go and uh, didn't quite get it done. So, I don't know. There were, there were some uh, positive things. It, it, I didn't watch the whole game. I watched most of the second half and listened to pretty much all of it with the – Awesome coverage here on 93 WIBC. And uh, I, I don't know that, that IU Nation is uh, necessarily real depressed today. Um, uh, Louisville's obviously a quality program. Uh, but that was a winnable game, and uh, they certainly had a chance to tie it there toward the end. Didn't quite get it done. But I hope you enjoyed the broadcast, and we're glad you're with us now. I'll tell you what, I, I've gotten as many calls and as much uh, – Request for input on uh, national Second Amendment related news here this week than than I can remember. I mean, I'm sure um, with other, with other things going on, things going on in Congress, uh, you know, it, it, there's been something similar. But uh, but I've been on uh, uh, Newsmax already this week. Uh, I was on the David Knight podcast that uh, producer Carl actually hooked me up with. Um, and then I'm on Newsmax again tomorrow morning at 7:15 a.m. If you're uh, if you're up that early, uh, check that out at, on uh, uh, Newsmax TV, which is I don't know it, it, it's doing pretty well. I mean, last time I saw it's what number four, number five, something like that, and all of all the cable news networks, uh, and a lot of people, uh, millions of people are tuning into Newsmax. So check that out. I'll be on there at 7:15 tomorrow. And what we're what we'll be talking about tomorrow morning. And what I've been talking about quite a bit this week are the three federal jar- uh, federal gun charges that have been brought against Hunter Biden, son of the president. And a lot of folks want to know what these charges are. They want to know what the ramifications are. They want to know, could he really spend time in prison? Uh, what's the likelihood of a conviction? And uh, there's a lot I don't necessarily know just from reading some of the court documents and from uh, reading the the news coverage from other sources, 
but I can I can certainly explain a number of things and uh, go into some detail on I think some really interesting, very very interesting aspects of this case. And you know they say what love and war make for strange bedfellows. Well, I think litigation and uh, and and fight over constitutional freedom sometimes can make some cra- some uh, strange bedfellows as well. For instance. Hunter Biden, in his case, according to his lawyers, uh, is already talking about making a constitutional challenge to the statute, at least one of the statutes involved, if not all of them. There are three different charges. Uh, And I'm not so sure I disagree with him on those constitutional challenges. So somebody look at me and go, hold on, you're, you're supporting Hunter Biden? Well, I support gun owners, I support constitutional rights, and I support a... as much restriction as we can get on the government who's trying to put people in jail for exercising a right that's guaranteed under the Second Amendment. Does that mean I'm a fan of of the Biden family? No. Does that mean I hope they uh, avoid prosecution for obviously being a crime syndicate and and having sold influence to foreign uh, corrupt powers over a generation? And gotten incredibly rich in the process. No, I hope they go to prison for all those things. But as to the particular gun charge at issue, uh, old Hunter and his legal team have some things to talk about. So let's talk about what it is that he's being charged with. There are three counts in the indictment. So let's even back up. A lot of of times, you know, lawyers throw around terms and and they assume people are going to understand what they are. In this case, there's an indictment, which means what? It means they took the case to a grand jury. Grand jury, a secret confidential proceeding where you bring in people, uh, members of the public or members of the grand jury, and the prosecutors present their case to them. Now it's one-sided. It's only the prosecutors. And they can compel witnesses. They have full subpoena power. But they present their case to the grand jury, and the grand jury doesn't decide guilt or innocence. They simply decide whether there's probable cause to charge someone with a crime. And in this case, the grand jury they submitted this case to decided that, yes, there's probable cause to go forward with a prosecution based on their finding of probable cause as to three different counts, three different allegations, three different alleged violations of the law. They each carry their own criminal sentence. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. And by the way, what's the alternative to that? Well, prosecutors, and in the federal system, we call them U.S. attorneys. The the appointed U.S. attorney who's the lead prosecutor for that whole federal district. So, for instance, Indiana has two federal districts, Northern District and Southern District. Indianapolis is kind of the borderline between the two districts in Indiana, but we're part of the Southern District here in Marion County where I'm sitting here doing the show. You get north of Indianapolis, you get into the Northern District. So both the Northern District and the Southern District of Indiana and every other federal district across the country have a U.S. attorney. They're appointed by the president. And then they hire assistant prosecutors In the state system, we'd call them assistant prosecutors or deputy prosecuting attorneys. In the federal system, we call them AUSA for assistant U.S. attorney. So that's how the system works. And the the U.S. attorney, if they choose to, can present 
simply a criminal complaint and file that in court, and that changes the process a little bit. But at the end of the day, it can have the same effect that you can still be convicted of a crime without the case having gone to a grand jury. Grand juries often give prosecutors or U.S. attorneys a little bit of political cover. Well, it's like, well, I didn't decide to initiate these charges. The grand jury decided there was probable cause for the prosecution. So it's it's sort of a third-party independent validation of what prosecutors in the federal system want to do, or in the state system. There are indictments available in the state system as well. So here there's an indictment. So it was presented to a grand jury. Grand jury came back and said, yeah, uh, three different counts. There's probable cause to believe Hunter Biden committed these particular crimes. What are those three crimes? Interestingly enough, count one and count two are almost identical. In fact, I would expect the Hunter Biden defense team to raise a double jeopardy argument to say, hold on, you can't prosecute him under two different laws for essentially what is exactly the same act. And and, and, and these two crimes essentially have the identical elements associated with them. That's not quite true. And we'll see whether they're successful on that or not. And, 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 and then the third is just a prohibited possessor charge. I'll get into a little more detail on all of those and as always, I'll take your calls and uh, with questions or comments. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. In fact, I, I just opened up the, the YouTube channel where we're broadcasting with the uh, expert assistance of producer Carl. Uh, we're broadcasting this on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and search for WIBC or 93WIBC and just click on today's Gun Guy show, you'll see a video broadcast. But there's a chat feature on that, and several people have said hi. And Well, hi back to you. I appreciate you listening, and uh, appreciate you saying hi there on YouTube. But in the meantime, we're going to take a break. I'll check out the phone lines here in a bit, but give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. We'll get back and discuss a little bit more about what's going on with Hunter Biden. Could he really see some jail time? And why do some... Gun proponents or gun rights advocates like myself, why we wouldn't be necessarily all that upset if these charges all get thrown out. Interesting spin. We'll be right back and discuss all those things on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back to The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Tell you what, we've had a couple of people call in already, and uh, I'm going to get back into the discussion of what's going on with Hunter Biden. Could he really see the inside of a federal jail cell as a result of these gun charges that have been filed against him just last Thursday. And uh, get into specifics on that. In the meantime, Jerry is called in. Jerry, what do you got for us, buddy? Hey, uh, I was just wondering, uh, Daddy's president, so uh, what's to keep uh, Joe from uh, pardoning his part, giving uh, his boy a pardon? Nothing. Uh, uh, maybe uh, if Joe perceives some political pressure... Um, well, I, I, I don't, I don't know that Joe's conscious enough to perceive much. So unless one of his inner circle convinces him, that would be a bad political move, um, which I'm sure, uh, they wouldn't think twice about, frankly, uh, he could absolutely, Joe could absolutely pardon his son. And, uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see it. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Bob has called with a question. Bob, what you got for us? Hey, Guy, I hope you're back on your bike after your incident. I'm sure you are. Absolutely. Uh, I am. In fact, I got to tell you, you know what, Bob, I'm glad you asked me that because 
I, I got to tell you, I live on the far north side. I live in Zionsville. But for I very know. specific reasons, I took my bike all the way down to Southside Harley-Davidson because uh, they're a family-owned business. So I've, been, I've been going in there since they were on near uh, South Meridian, uh, right just south of downtown. And uh, I'm so glad I did. They're, and, I, and this is unpaid, unsolicited, uncompensated. There are wonderful people down there. It doesn't feel like a big corporate dealership like a lot of the others do. And they were fabulous to me. I got my bike back quickly. It's beautiful. It's in better shape than it was. So anyway, I forgive me for the uh, endorsement there, uh, as unsolicited and uncompensated as it might be. But I, yeah, I, I am back on my bike. But you, I'm certain. Think you want to ask me something totally unrelated? Well, no, I know what you mean. I got an ultra, and it doesn't uh, doesn't. It's good to get out. But anyway, yeah. I, uh, I I set a reminder on my. Uh, Apple Watch this afternoon to tune into the Gun Guy show, and Siri came up with Gun to Guy, G-U-N-D-A-G-A-I. <laughs> so you're free to use that if you want. Okay. But my, yeah. Real que- yeah. my real question was, um, me and my dog are meeting up with some friends. We're going out to Yellowstone in a couple weeks. Yeah. So I just purchased a, a Red Hot 454 Casul. All right. And I was wondering what you thought about that versus a 10 millimeter oh um gosh you mean you're, you're obviously concerned about a uh, big game uh a grizzly bear deciding uh it wants to have you for lunch something along those lines well yeah actually i'm staying at a dude ranch it's called the bar in ranch and two two and a half weeks ago across the street from where i'm staying is a trailhead and a woman was jogging and she was Killed by a grizzly. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I obviously, and you know the answer to this, I'd much rather have a long gun um, when you're talking about a grizzly bear and something very high velocity because you've got an awful lot of, 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 of tissue, uh, hide, fur, fat, uh, and to get through to hit anything that matters on a grizzly bear, and they they're kind of armor plated. I I was I was looking to do a grizzly bear hunt a number of years ago, and uh, and and I did a little research, and like if a bear's charging at you trying to make a headshot, th- their head is literally like armor plated. It's built like a tank, um, and when they, and they, when they run, they tend to to dip their head, and so that's just uh, a losing proposition. But I, I, as far as a pistol goes, I'd I'd want the most velocity I could get, and uh, and uh, and I and I'd want the biggest projectile I can get, and so that would probably push me over toward the four fifty four Casul, which is a awesome round anyway. Now with the ten millimeter, you're dealing with a much smaller projectile, but you're also talking about very nice velocities, particularly. Like I had a, a Glock Model 20, 10 millimeter for a while, and Glock sold a six-inch hunting barrel, where you generated more velocity, um, and velocity uh, is the name of the game. I mean, velocity. If you look up the equation on uh, on how you calculate muzzle energy, uh, it has twice the effect uh, of of the mass of the of, of the projectile. So, anyway, I, either one of those, I, you know, is going to be, uh, you know. I, okay i suppose but man i'd want a long gun and i know that's probably not convenient for you to carry around uh i'd want a long gun and something uh uh that uh that i'm convinced would penetrate uh all all that all that critter that's coming at me trying to have me for lunch i mean i've got a 300 wind mag it's a big heavy long range rifle 
but uh, I, 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 if I'm, if I had my choice of shooting a grizzly with something, especially if he's coming at me, I'd want something along those lines. Uh, realizing it's not always uh, logistically feasible. Well, hey, let's get back to to Hunter Biden. So, first of all, what's the guy charged with? What he's charged with is uh, three different counts, and the first two counts one, counts two are almost identical. Because here's what happened: he went in to buy a gun, a revolver at a gun store. And like everyone who's buying uh, a, a gun in a gun store, you fill out the essentially the application to purchase firearm. And we call it a, a Form 4473. It's a, 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 a standard ATF form. And you fill that out and you put your identifying information on there and then ask you a series of questions. And one of the questions it asks you is, are you a user of or addicted to any illegal drugs? I think that's a third question down, if I remember correctly. And and recently here, and this is an interesting point as well, they even amended the form to say this includes marijuana in those states that have legalized marijuana at the state level. Now, that has nothing to do with Hunter's case because we're not talking about marijuana. But as an aside, and relevant to some uh, federal circuit court authority, I'll get back into that later. But... In answer to the question, are you a user of or addicted to any illegal drugs, Hunter said no. And then later on, when you sign the form, you sign it right under uh, a section that says you're hereby certifying under penalties of violation of federal law that your answers to this are true and accurate. So he said, no, I'm not a user ever addicted to any illegal drugs. And since then, he's come out publicly, including in his autobiography, and admitted that this in, in this exact time frame, he was addicted to crack cocaine. And if you remember, this is a time frame we're talking about where he said, oh, yeah, in a, on a, a, a live TV interview, he said, oh, I, I was so badly addicted, I'd, I'd crawl through my floor trying to find some crack I might have dropped into the carpet. And I'd if I found something, I'd snort it. And he made the joke. I, I probably snorted more Parmesan cheese than anybody in history because if it was down in my carpet... You know, whether it fell off a pizza or otherwise, I was picking it up and snorting it. That's how bad I was addicted to cocaine. Well, when you say, no, I'm not a user ever addicted to any illegal drugs, then you come out and admit publicly, you're admitting to lying on the form. That lie on that form actually gives rise to the first two charges in the indictment against Hunter Biden. The first is there's a federal statute that says if you make any false statement, either oral or written, to a gun dealer at the time you're buying a gun, and you know that to be a false statement, and you give it to that gun dealer, you make that statement, oral or written, with the intent of deceiving the gun dealer in order to purchase a firearm, then that's a federal crime, and that's 10 years in federal prison. That's count one. Count two is almost identical. It says when you include false information on a form that's required by a gun dealer to be kept under federal law and maintained, then that's also a crime. Now, in this case, it's the same misstatement. That's why I say I, I could see an argument that it's double jeopardy. You're being charged for two separate crimes for doing exactly the same thing, lying on the 4473. And there may be a decent double jeopardy argument there. Because, well, the first one is just making a false statement to the gun dealer. Second is lying on a form that the gun dealer then has to maintain. And the the dealers, by the way, have to keep those 4473s in their records 
I, I want to say 20 years. I, I always say 25 and people correct me and say, no, it's 20. So I think that's right. So that's count two. Count three is, well, he successfully passed the background check because remarkably, the guy doesn't have a significant criminal history. Consider that for a moment. Yet, he, 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 because he didn't have a significant or, uh, criminal history, he passes the background check. Then he gets the gun. However, another section of the federal code says if you're a user of or addicted to any illegal drugs, you cannot possess firearms. So lying on the 4473 is counts one and counts two. Count three is you cannot possess a firearm. You're a prohibited possessor. If you're a user of or addicted to any illegal drugs, as soon as you bought the gun and walked out of the gun store with it, you possessed it as someone who now is admittedly, was admittedly someone who used and, and was addicted to illegal drugs at the time, you can't possess a gun that's 10 years in federal prison. So the way this works out, if you go through the penalty provisions of each of these statutes, you could get 10 years on count one, five years on count two, 10 years on count three. I didn't do particularly well in math, but I'm pretty sure that's 25 years. A judge potentially could sentence him to consecutive sentences of 25 years in prison. I mean, that's the total potential downside. Is that likely to happen? Oh, hell no. Not even close. But we'll talk more about what we think the likely outcome is and what some arguments are from his defense team, some of which have been forecast already. Uh, on uh, national television. We'll talk a little bit more about that and continue to take your calls with questions or comments. 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. Give us a call. Uh, join the discussion. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in Central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. And welcome back to The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. Again, we got some people watching uh, on YouTube. You can watch a video feed if you're so inclined. I always say the same thing. I'm not much to look at, but hey, if you want to watch video and and uh, listen to the broadcast at the same time, you go to YouTube. I think Carl also has it up on the WIBC Facebook page, if I'm not mistaken. He's giving me the thumbs up. Um, so welcome to do that, too. And there's a chat feature on there as well. So we're talking about a Hunter Biden indictment, three charges. I just explained what those are, potentially. 25 years in prison. And you're hearing a lot about that. Is that realistic? No. Because, again, the guy, and, and Jerry called in, I think it was Jerry, and said, what's to keep the president from pardoning him? And absolutely nothing other than political pressure. And I don't know that Biden feels much political pressure. I don't know that he feels much, period. But, but that could easily happen. But even short of that, short of a presidential pardon, then you know the, the, someone with with very little criminal history. First of all, it is unusual, and it's interesting. I'm going to play uh, a, a, a a bit of an interview from Hunter Biden's attorney here in in, in a bit, probably next segment. Um, but he wants to say, you know, this is politically motivated. It's interesting that a Democrat or someone representing a Democrat, someone representing the Bidens 
would complain about selective prosecution in this country. Think about that a minute. You got Trump with how many indictments now? How many different cases is is, is he is he facing? Hillary Clinton destroyed 30,000 and some emails that were under subpoena at the time. Didn't get indicted for anything. The 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 the, the Biden crime family and, and by the way, I've had people comment, as I've talked about these gun charges, I've had people comment and say, God, you don't understand. This is all a distraction. This is all sleight of hand. They, they, they want to file this relatively minor gun charge. Well, if I'm looking at 25 years in federal prison, I don't know. And, and they're all felonies. I don't know that I consider that minor. But they want to, they want to, they want to, they want to file this gun charge. It's not going to go anywhere. And that's, and that's a distraction because that's all anybody's going to talk about, as opposed to keeping the pressure on on the criminal investigation of potential prosecution or indictment of the Bidens over a corruption scandal that, that Congress is looking at right now. The fact that millions and millions and millions of dollars came from these foreign countries, Ukraine, Russia, China, I mean, it goes on and on. And millions and millions of dollars, and ostensibly, at least if we're to believe what we're hearing from some of the Republicans, who are part of the investigation, part of the committee doing the investigation, there's evidence that that money made its way back to other members of the Biden family, including Joe. So they're selling influence. They're selling access. They're selling U.S. policy to the highest bidder. And would I rather see a prosecution on that? Absolutely. A thousand times more do I care about this gun charge. I think it's interesting that Hyden, that Hunter Biden is getting prosecuted. But here's a here's a, here's a fact for you that, that may come as a surprise. Yeah, although I've talked about this years ago here on the Gun Guy Show. And that is that, you know, whenever we hear about authorities, politicians, gun control advocates pushing for more and more laws. A lot of us will say, why don't you enforce the laws you already have? About, well, we need tougher background checks. Well, hold on. What about holding people accountable when they fail a background check and it turns out they lied on the application, on the 4473 form? And I had a whole segment or two on this show, it's been two or three years ago, where I talked about the incredibly low percentage of people that get prosecuted who are caught lying on the 4473. And it's not even something as amorphous, a sort of wishy-washy as, are you a user of or addicted to illegal drugs? Some you know, people go in and say, have you been convicted of a crime for which you could have been sentenced to more than a year? That's a felony. That's the same, exactly the same thing as asking you if you have a felony conviction. And people will go in there and say no, when they've got multiple felony convictions. They're just hoping somebody screws up and gives them the gun, notwithstanding the fact they're ineligible. And it happens a lot. Now, sometimes people mark no on that question because they honestly believe they don't have a felony conviction, or they may be right. They may be they maybe had a felony conviction and it was expunged, or they had a felony conviction and it was later reduced to a misdemeanor. And you can honestly and legally answer no to that question if that applies to you under any of those circumstances. And sometimes the federal records haven't been updated, and so they get rejected on their gun purchase, and the federal government just screwed it up. But there are people who legitimately lie. There are people who go in there and say, no, I don't have a felony conviction, or no, I'm not under a domestic 
violence order of protection for no to whatever, and they're caught lying. And you know that dramatically less than 1% of all those people have ever gotten prosecuted, historically, going back a couple of decades. And I actually crunched the numbers here on the Gun Guy Show one time. It's like one-tenth of 1%. So for somebody to say, well, why is Hunter Biden being prosecuted for this? This is kind of a, no pun intended, trumped-up charge. It is true that very few people get prosecuted for what he's being prosecuted for. And frankly, many of us who resist more gun control laws, more people say, oh, we need more laws. We need universal background checks. We need tougher background checks. We need mental health checks. A lot of our reaction has been, why don't you enforce the laws that are already on the books? And why don't you talk to the U.S. Attorney's Office and the ATF about arresting people and prosecuting people who honestly do dishonestly, I should say, do, lie on the 4473 and get caught. And in that context, we come back, I'm going to play a little clip from Hunter Biden's attorney. We'll kind of talk about how all that coalesces uh, when we come back. In the meantime, join the discussion. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And I'll tell you what, Dan has called in with a question about something I think I was just talking about. Dan, welcome to The Gun Guy Show. We got for us? Hey, I was just wondering. Um, so many years ago, was uh, charged with a felony that was reduced to misdemeanor. Yep. And, and then... Um, within the past few years, was able to successfully, without being dishonest, um, uh, get a, um, a gun permit to carry. Yep. Actually transferred my address a couple of times. Went to purchase a gun, and they actually denied it because the initial charge was a felony, even though it was reduced to misdemeanor. Yeah, they're wrong, Dan. And and listen, I got to tell you, I deal with this so much. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll go in and file on behalf of clients um, uh, what, what's called a, a petition under alternative misdemeanor sentencing where you can get felony charges reduced uh, after the fact. Uh, I'll do expungements for clients. And I swear the FBI, the, the people doing the NICS checks, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System run by the FBI out of Wheeling, West Virginia, I swear they've gotten orders from on high from the Biden administration just to screw people over at every opportunity. I'm convinced they're doing this. Because if you've had your felony reduced, then you're illegal to buy a gun. And it doesn't matter that you were charged originally or even convicted originally if it was out thereafter reduced to a misdemeanor. And the, and, the, and the law on this is clear. And so they're just jacking you around. And they, they want you to go through an appeal. They, they may deny your appeal. They're, they're literally looking to make life as miserable as they possibly can for people who are trying to do the right thing. And do what you did, which is go in, fill out your 4473, answer it honestly, comply with the law. You're not a prohibited possessor. And the ATF, the FBI, as part of this process, are absolutely intentionally denying gun purchases that they know are legal gun purchases. That's the other side of this same equation. So uh, all I can I do is tell you to, to appeal it and to fight them on it because you're right and they're wrong, Dan. Uh, let's get back to a discussion about Hunter Biden's charges. So his lawyer, 
appeared on the same Newsmax. Actually, Newsmax just paid, uh, played a clip of his lawyer, was actually talking to CNN. But I appeared on Newsmax uh, yesterday. And uh, I may have mentioned I'm on Newsmax again, 7.15 in the morning, uh, tomorrow. But I, but in, in as part of that same uh, story uh, where I was talking about Hunter's gun charges, uh, Hunter's lawyer had something to say. If you think about it, what has changed? They knew all the facts for years. The law, if it has changed at all, as you pointed out, there have been at least two federal courts that have found this law in particular to be unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you have to ask what changed. And what changed, you also just talked about. It is the folks like Chairman Comer and the Republican MAGA crazies who have been pressuring this U.S. attorney to do something to vindicate their political position. And guess what? They succeeded. So, again, interesting to me that you're having someone representing a Biden complaining about selective prosecution. But again, I give the guy points on a couple of different issues. One is, he's right that very, very few people are prosecuted for these kinds of charges. Now, do I think it's because it's pressure from the MAGA crazies? I, I, whenever somebody uses MAGA, you know, the MAGA extremists or MAGA crazies or whatever it is, I always, I always want to break that down and go, do you remember what MAGA stands for? It stands for make America great again. You're criticizing me. You call me a MAGA extremist. Hey, hey, look, I'm not the most extreme Trump supporter by any strength of the imagination or any stretch of the imagination. And I've talked right here on the show that he hasn't always been a friend of the Second Amendment. And he made a dramatic mistake on bump stocks, which I've talked about a lot. But I enthusiastically voted for the guy in two general elections. I did not vote for him in the 2016 primary, I am first to admit. But, but I'm, I was happy to vote for him in the generals. But, but, but let's just say, to call me a MAGA extremist, that means I'm extreme in my views on wanting to make America great again? And, and you're using that as an insult? And I'm supposed to be offended? I never understood that. But, but listen, if political pressure was brought to bear, I'm not so sure that the charges were filed because they, they simply melted under that pressure or because they thought, hey, let's give them this gun charge and take the heat off the corruption charge that really, I think, is where the attention ought to be. Wouldn't be so surprised. We're going to take a break here as we approach the top of the hour. We come back, talk about this other issue, which is, is this law, at least one of the laws that Hunter's being prosecuted under, unconstitutional? Interesting discussion. That's what we'll get into when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93W. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7, UIBC. And welcome back for hour number two of The Gun Guy Show here on 93WIBC. Glad you're with us. Whether you're just joining us or you've been here uh, throughout the first hour as well. By the way, I got to tell you, just when I got up to take a break, walk out of the studio there at the top of the hour, um, there was some leftover baklava from uh, the Hammer and Nigel show yesterday. Apparently, someone from the Carl's the Greek Festival, isn't it, that's going on right now in India? Does that sound right? I- I think you know better than I do, because you're the one that said it was from the Greek festival. I'm pretty sure, well, it's baklava, so that would kind of make sense. Um, 
And this is just from yesterday, and I'm not real shy about leftovers. I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, it'd be fine. It was fabulous. So I, assuming I'm right on that, and it's the Greek festival, uh, man, I'd be checking that out because if everything is as good as uh, day-old baklava, <laughs> I got to tell you, there's got to be some pretty fabulous stuff down there. Uh, let's get back to the discussion. And again, we want to take your calls uh, with questions or comments throughout the show, 317-239-9393. You heard Hunter Biden's lawyer as uh, as broadcast there on the same Newsmax show. Again, he was given an interview on CNN, but Newsmax replayed it because they asked me and uh, Cam Edwards uh, from BearingArms.com. He used to be with NRA TV. I go way back with Cam Edwards. You hear Cam um, both as a guest on Tony Cast Today, and I've even heard him co-host for Tony when Tony can't be in town. And so uh, you've heard Cam Edwards quite a bit right here on WIBC. And uh, he and I have gone back when we both, uh, well, he had his own show on NRA TV, I think since there was an NRA TV, and then I was a weekly contributor on a couple of other shows, um, including uh, Dana Lash's show and then uh, others as well. But at any rate, um, the segment that they played from Hunter's lawyer, he said a couple of things. He goes, well, this is just political pressure from the MAGA crazies. I addressed that right before the break. That makes me chuckle. Uh, Democrats are complaining about selective prosecution in this country. Consider. But separately... He said, no, by the way, you know, this law is unconstitutional. Well, what, what's he talking about? Well, there have been a couple of decisions, and at the Circuit Court of Appeals level, just last, last month in August, the Fifth Circuit. So this is the federal circuit. So if you go to one of the districts, and I talked about how states are divided up into federal districts, if you go to district court and you lose, you can appeal. And when you appeal a, a federal district court case, you go up to the Circuit Court of Appeals. In this case, a, a decision was made in one of these appeals, a case called Daniels versus U.S. And this is the Fifth Circuit. And that is the federal appellate circuit that has jurisdiction over appeals coming out of the federal districts in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. So it's limited. But it's a relatively conservative court, and they've issued a number of decisions. For instance, I talked about the Rahini uh, decision that they came out with a few months ago, and that was where they said the law that prevents people under a domestic violence order of protection cannot, cannot possess firearms, that that law was unconstitutional. And they did so under the new Bruin decision that came out of the Supreme Court uh, in June of 2022. And I've talked a lot about Bruin. I'll talk a little bit more about it in the context of the Hunter Biden situation. Well, the same court came out just in August and said the law that says someone who is, the law that says someone who is a user of or addicted to illegal drugs as applied to this Mr. Daniels involved in that litigation is unconstitutional. Now, he didn't say what Hunter Biden's lawyer said it said, which is the law is unconstitutional on its face across the board. They said, as applied to this particular guy named Daniels, who was appealing his conviction, it was unconstitutional as to him. What's the difference? Well, he was a guy who was caught with some marijuana in his car, and in response to 
law enforcement officers, they said, you know, you smoke, you smoke marijuana? He says, yeah, a few times a month. He might have even said several times a month, I smoke marijuana. And based on that admission that he was a user of an illegal drug, he was convicted of the same crime that set out in count three of the indictment against Hunter Biden. In this decision that just came out in August, just a month ago, came out and said, as applied to this guy, who, by the way, and, and, they, and the court it really emphasized this, and this may or not, may not apply to Hunter as well, said there's no evidence he was intoxicated on marijuana or anything else at the time that he was found in possession of a gun. He was convicted just based on saying, yeah, several times a month, I smoke pot. And on those facts, they said, all right, under the text, history, and tradition, this is the Fifth Circuit when I say they, the Fifth Circuit said, under the text, history, and tradition test that came out of the Bruin Supreme Court decision last June, we have to look at whether this is constitutional. What's the text, history, and tradition test? Well, this is, this is the whole ballgame when it comes to the Second Amendment now. And that's why the Bruin case was such a life changer for those of us fighting for Second Amendment rights or litigating Second Amendment rights. Because, because they threw out this balancing test that courts have been using for a long damn time, decades. They used to say, well, if the, the states have this compelling state interest, or the government has this compelling interest, like, oh, keeping people safe, well, that's a compelling interest then we have to look at the extent of the infringement, and then there's this sort of balancing test, and they, they apply different levels of scrutiny, we call them. And on that basis, they say, well, there's some infringement here, but given the compelling state interest and the level of scrutiny we applied, nah, it's just fine. And, no, and courts that have done that have done things like, oh, say, upheld assault weapon ban, quote-unquote, where, 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 where those have existed in states across the country. Or, or, or similar gun control laws. Well, the Bruin decision threw all that out and said, no, 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 no levels of scrutiny, no balancing. It's text, history, and tradition. And, and this was Brent Kavanaugh's opinion, and it comes right out of the exact same things that he said during his confirmation hearings. And you remember the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee during his confirmation hearings, when they finally got past him you know, drinking beer, and the, the false allegations of, uh, uh, appear to be allegations of sexual assault, once all that got debunked, they, when they are actually talking about what, he, what work he might do and opinions he might render on the Supreme Court, he said, I think constitutional analysis is text, history, and tradition. What is that? So we first look at the text of the constitutional right we're talking about. So here you look at the Second Amendment. What does it say? What does it mean? Well, the Heller decision from 2008 tells us a lot about what it means in terms of, yes, it does protect an individual right to bear arms. It protects those arms in common use for lawful purposes and goes on from there. So, okay. And, and oh, by the way, it protects the right to both keep, which is possess, and carry, which is to bear arms in the wording of the Second Amendment. All right. So in looking at that, they said, okay, the Second Amendment clearly applies to Mr. Daniels. Now we look at the history and tradition of the regulation of, of gun rights in this country, going all the way back to the founding and before. 
say, is there a long history and tradition of restrictions on this particular right in this country? Have there similar laws been upheld? And I'm not talking since the 60s or the 70s or the 80s. I'm talking about going all the way back to the ratification of the Second Amendment in 1791. And to some degree, it allows you know, the law that the, the founders were aware of and, and relied upon in even drafting the Second Amendment. So you can get into even some, some old English law, European law, that, that a lot of U.S. law is based upon. And there they said, you know what, there, there's, uh, there's some history and tradition here around denying people the ability to possess guns who are at the time intoxicated who, or who are at the time dangerous. And, 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 they, and, and then the, and the, and the, the, the state, I should say, in this situation, the case against Daniels was saying, "Well, what are what, what what's a great metaphor is a long history of depriving people of possession of guns who are insane and therefore dangerous." And the court came back and said, "Hold on, you're analogizing that to someone who quote unquote smokes marijuana several times a month. Where's the evidence on this record that you're dangerous?" Or 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 or, or you're an analog to being criminally insane because you smoke pot. Even a, a few times or several times a month, there's just no connection. That's why the, the they look a lot at marijuana specifically. But in that case, they came out and said what Hunter Biden's lawyer more or less got right, which is as applied to this guy who was a pot smoker, the statute that the government's relying on in the third count against Hunter Biden was found, found to be unconstitutional under the text, history, and tradition test that was created by Bruin and was applied in the Daniels case and is being applied all across the country to strike down gun control left and right. So, so Hunter Biden does have a leg to stand on to say, as to him— now, again, different analysis. You're talking about crack cocaine as opposed to marijuana. What are the differences? Well, that'll be a big part of the litigation, especially to the extent that his defense team wants to rely on the Daniels case out of the Fifth Circuit, which doesn't directly apply. It's not controlling because it's in a different federal circuit because he's being prosecuted in Delaware, which is in a completely different circuit. But there is an argument to say he has a legitimate shot at the argument that the Statute is unconstitutional because there's not a long history of saying in this country that it's illegal if someone just occasionally uses illegal substances or is even addicted to those illegal substances. Is it a closer call than the Daniels case? Yeah, sure. But that's what's going on out there. But I, but I do think. The, the laughable thing about all of this, do I think this is all a distraction? Yeah, I could easily see that. Do I think the attention wants to be drawn away from the corruption probe? Yeah, I think that's probably true. Do I think he sees jail time with, with no criminal history, despite the fact that he's a criminal, the fact that he's got no convictions on his record, there's one gun involved. No, it's not the kind of case that you're typically going to see much, if any, jail time. And if so, it might be a few months in a low-security 
club fed, they call it. Beyond that, I don't see I don't see a lot coming out of this, but what could really be interesting is what happens, and consider this, with the Biden administration, who's pushing for more gun restrictions, more limitations on the Second Amendment, every opportunity they get, if a precedent based on Hunter Biden's case could ultimately lead to a more broad application of the ruling that, in fact, the statute the government's relying on is unconstitutional, which at the end of the day actually expands gun rights in the United States. <laughs> if that were to, for instance, be ruled upon that way in the Supreme Court. Fascinating, fascinating potential development. That's why it'll be interesting to watch. I think you'll see a plea, and I think you'll see a slap on the wrist. But these are three felonies he's being charged with, so we'll have to watch it closely. Right now, we're well past the quarter hour. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And uh, I'll tell you what, Kelly and Avon, our old pal, has called in. So let's go to the phone lines. Hey, Kelly, my friend. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing real good. How are you, Guy? I'm good. What do we got, what do you got for us? Well, I got uh, two things to bring up. One, uh, Hunter's lawyer, uh, Abby Lowell, I believe is his name, uh, hopefully he brings more to the Second Amendment fight than what I'm seeing in the court of public opinion. <laughs> right. Because you see him come on and he's saying, well, he only owned the gun for 11 days, and I'm yelling at the television, so. Yeah. And he never loaded it. And again, I'm yelling at the television, so. But he did, uh, there's a little girl in Arkansas who's getting 75% less child support because of him, so maybe he is a pretty good lawyer. Yeah, well, and, yeah, good point. Yeah, but that's that's yeah. when, when when lawyers try to be all things to all people. Because I'm guessing this guy doesn't have on his website. He's a, he's a Second Amendment lawyer, right? But but uh, but yeah, they can they can fall short a little bit. Because you're right. And by the way, Kelly, I bet you know the answer to this question. Do you know why Hunter only owned the gun for 11 days? Uh, because his uh, it was sister-in-law slash. Uh, squeeze, if you will. <laughs> I was just going to say girlfriend, cool. but okay. Well, uh, is that what they're calling it these days? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, which is just a whole other yeah. whole other issue right there. But um, and on top of that, it's like this. It never ends for us. We've got uh, what the ATF trying to uh, get their rules across with what a. Um, engaged in the business means. Oh, well, yeah. And, and if I have time, Kelly, I'm going to talk about that, uh, or it may be for another show, because that's a big deal and people need to understand about that. And I'm caught up in that. Um, well, I've got two cases going on right now where people are being prosecuted uh, under exactly the statute you're talking about. But but to finish the point and what I was raising, because we both mentioned girlfriend, squeeze, whatever, the reason Hunter only possessed that gun for 11 days is because he apparently was, was high out of his brain and his girlfriend, or whatever designation we want to give her, took the gun, fearing that he was going to do harm to himself or someone else, and threw it in a dumpster. Apparently, what I keep reading is in immediate proximity of a school. And 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 and, and so for the lawyer to be bragging about, well, he only owned it for eleven days. Yeah, because while he was stone brainless, his Girlfriend, fearing for his safety or hers or everyone's, threw it in a dumpster. 
I don't know that I'd be bragging in public about that when you're going to be publicly made to look like an idiot for doing so. But Kelly, as always, man, thanks thanks for calling in. Um, we're going to shift gears here a little bit. And uh, I always want to call Gavin Newsom, you know, governor of California. And uh, everybody kept thinking he was going to be presidential candidate. Uh, and I'm sure we'll see him there at some point. Um, hell, he was running ads against Ron DeSantis in Florida. I mean, before the primary season really kicked off, and I mean, it was really looking like he was teeing up um, a campaign. And and who knows, the Biden people, the National Democrat Organization may have just talked him out of it. But this guy is proposing a 28th Amendment. And he's proposing a, a constitutional convention in order for the Constitutional Convention to consider the 28th Amendment. And this is interesting. Now we need to go back to the Constitution a little bit and talk about amending the Constitution. It's been done 27 times. So it's not like it's a rare event, but it's not necessarily happens that ha- that, it's something that happens very often, considering it's been done. It's only happened 27 times in the 243 years this country's been around, or since the Constitution was ratified. Don't 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 correct my math, anybody out there, because anybody who went to high school with me knows it's not my strong suit. But uh, but the, a constitutional convention is one way to amend the Constitution. Now, of the twenty-seven constitutional amendments we have thus far, all twenty-seven have been done in an alternate through an, the alternative means that the Constitution spells out, and that is that if a resolution is passed by a two-thirds majority in each House of Congress to amend the Constitution. That then goes to the states, and their state legislatures have to ratify that, and it takes three-quarters of the states to ratify that constitutional amendment. Three-quarters, that's 37. Ah, math again. So somebody would get your calculator out and tell me that's not three-quarters. I believe that's right. 37 states. Have you seen an election map lately, dividing red states and blue states? Yeah, Biden supposedly got 81 million votes, but an awful lot of them came from a handful of states. And an awful lot of state legislatures are going to be conservative on these issues. But that's one way to amend the Constitution, is with Congress passing a resolution, two-thirds majority in each house, then it goes to the states. Or alternatively, and this is right there in the Constitution as well, the states can, can call for a constitutional convention. Two-thirds of the states have to agree, yes, let's have a constitutional convention. If two-thirds agree, okay, they get together. Now, everything's on the table. Some people have said to me, oh, we need a constitutional convention so we can strengthen the Second Amendment. So, all right, well, you go into a constitutional convention, just consider that you're opening up a whole can of worms or Pandora's box or whatever metaphor you want to use. But it gives you some confidence when you look at, again, the red state, blue state map in terms of number of states and how that that math works out. But the Constitutional Convention that Gavin Newsom wants to have is to consider his 28th Amendment. And what it would do is it would restrict and amend the actual Second Amendment and as part of a constitutional convention, so this isn't getting a law passed in state legislature, because, oh, by the way, in California, where he's governor, they have all these laws already. California has every one of these. But by the way, do you know what state from going all the way back 40 years, 
Let's go back to 1982. With the whole cornucopia, the whole wish list of gun control, I mean, everything, assault weapon ban, high-capacity magazine ban, universal background checks, waiting periods, anything Shannon Watts or Michael Bloomberg or Joe Biden or Barack Obama or any other gun control proponents out there, anything they ever dreamt of they have in California for the last 40 years, going all the way back to 1982, you know what states had the most mass shootings of any state in the country? California. Now, it's a very populous state. So that may not be a fair statistic, but at the same time, they've got everything in California, and they are learning, as we all do, anyone who pays attention, that criminals don't follow laws. But in this case, he wants a constitutional amendment to say that only people 21 and older can buy a gun, that there'll be universal background checks, so that means including checks on as between uh, private gun seller and buyer, mandatory waiting periods. You imagine having this in the Constitution? Does that sound like a local law to you? Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. But oh no, Gavin Newsom wants it in the Constitution. And then, of course, we're going to ban most common semi-automatic rifles, so-called assault weapon ban. So that's what Gavin Newsom is calling for. Now, what's the likelihood of success here? Will two-thirds of states go, oh, yeah, let's get together and consider that, Gavin? Great idea. Separately, if, 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 if somehow the bazaar happens and they would do that and then pass it by two-thirds majority in the Constitutional Convention, are three-quarters of states, 37, going to ratify? Don't think so. So what's that start sounded like? It sounds like so much pandering to your liberal base to say, look what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to stand up and enact gun control, not only in legislatures, not only in Congress, but actually amend the American Constitution. And, and consider that in the same document where the founders put the Second Amendment, they would create another amendment to not only restrict the Second Amendment, but to actually restrict the, light, the rights of law-abiding citizens. When you read the entire Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, what are they all about? They're about preserving and protecting the rights of the individual. And this, I always want to call him Governor Moonbeam, but that's actually a California governor that was Jerry Brown. This goes yeah, back to— That, was, that oh, was Jerry Brown. I like to refer to Newsom as gruesome. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. But uh, anyway, I always want to let you to know that that's the kind of bizarre thing we have coming— we have coming from uh, liberal politicians. In the meantime, Carl's giving me the let's get the hell out of here uh, signal, which is let's take a break because uh, I went well past the bottom of the hour. So we're doing that. We're taking a break. Uh, continue to call in. We've had great callers so far with your uh, questions and comments. 317-239-9393. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in Central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And hey, Carl, I had somebody send me a message on 
on Twitter or X or whatever we're supposed to call it these days. Uh, ask me what the song is that we play as a bumper. It's Joe Bonamassa. I actually it's, sent it to you. Yeah, it's, it's high water. It's high water everywhere. Yeah, high water everywhere. That's what I thought that was right. But uh, yeah, if anybody uh, asking, that's uh, Joe Bonamassa. High water everywhere, and I. I'm a big Joe Bonamassa fan, which you probably know if you've been listening to the Gun Guy Show for a while. But uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about what's going on out in New Mexico, where Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, here a few days ago, issued a, an executive order saying that she was banning all open and concealed carry of firearms in Albuquerque, New Mexico, for 30 days. And a lot of people reached out to me and asked me what I thought about that. And I said, well, it's absolutely, no question, unconstitutional. Because let's go back to the Bruin decision that I was talking about in the context of the Hunter Biden case, the Bruin Supreme Court case. The, the actual context of the ruling that gave us this text history and tradition test, which I love, by the way, I think that's exactly what the founders would want the Supreme Court to be applying. But the, the context is was the Supreme Court's ruling on whether New York's handgun licensing scheme, which was a discretionary, what we call a May-issue system, where some government bureaucrat got to, got to scratch, scratch his chin and say, oh, yeah, well, you have a sufficient need to carry a handgun in public, but you over there, nope, you don't. And, and, and there had to be some existential threat against you at the time you're applying for a handgun carry license. Well, I live in a high-crime neighborhood. Not good enough. I just want to be able to protect myself and my family. Not good enough. I occasionally carry large sums of money or I transport you know, precious jewels to my business and back. Not good enough. That's why very few people, very few people got handgun licenses in New York. Now, it varied by what part of the state you lived in. But New York had this system where some people got to carry a gun in public, some didn't, even though they're, they could each be law-abiding citizens. And the Supreme Court said, no, the right to bear arms in public protects the right to carry a handgun in public. The carrying a handgun in public is a core freedom protected by the Second Amendment and a discretionary licensing scheme where some people got to exercise that right and some people didn't is unconstitutional. And what I've said publicly, and I've said right here on the radio, is what in the hell makes this idiotic New Mexico governor think that where the Supreme Court just June of 2022 came out and said in the, in the Bruin decision, banning some people from carrying a handgun in public is unconstitutional. What the hell made her think she could ban everyone from carrying a gun in public? And, and, and who on her staff said she was going to get away with it? It was not even a close call. And it's all based squarely on the Bruin decision. Now, I've given a couple of media interviews about it. In fact, I was I was on the David Knight show this last week. And uh, producer Carl actually hooked me up with David Knight. Uh, he, does a, he does a webcast and... Uh, has a lot of of, of, of followers. He, he, he has a lot of radio stations that play him, and he's a conservative's conservative. But he's had me on a few times, and he was asking me 
about this New Mexico situation. And he said, well, guy, does it make a difference that it's only a 30-day ban? And he wasn't suggesting that it did. He just wanted my take on that point. And, and does, does the governor have an argument with, well, we're only talking about 30 days? I said, well, that's like police violating the Fourth Amendment by kicking your door down without a warrant and no probable cause to enter your home, no warrant, but saying, oh, that doesn't violate the Fourth Amendment because we're not going to stay long. That doesn't make any sense. You either have a, a right that's protected under the Fourth Amendment or you don't. And a, a, a brief violation doesn't make it any less of a violation. And so what predictably happened just a few days after she announced this thing? A federal district court judge there in New Mexico, federal court, came out and said no under the Bruin decision. This is absolutely unconstitutional and actually issued a, t a preliminary injunction preventing Albuquerque or the state of New Mexico from enforcing this thing. What did Governor Grisham then do? Two or three days later, she came out and she said, well, okay, so the judge blocked us from instituting this across the board, which is banning all carry everywhere in public in Albuquerque. It wasn't the whole state of New Mexico. It was Albuquerque. She ostensibly was responding to a bit of a crime wave in Albuquerque, including the shooting of a couple of young kids. So instead of the whole city of Albuquerque, now she says she's going to ban carrying of, of handguns only in parks, playgrounds, places where parents and children gather. Does that make it constitutional? Tell you what, let's, we're, we're, we'll get caught up here a little bit and uh, go ahead and take a break. We'll come back for the last segment of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for the last segment here of the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So Governor of New Mexico gets her butt kicked by a local federal district judge and says, no, just like the whole world's been telling you. Just like that brilliant Guy Relford out in Indiana on the Gun Guy Show has been saying. No, he didn't say that. Uh, you can't ban all opening and concealed carry of handguns in the entire city of Albuquerque, even for 30 days. It's unconstitutional. So go away. She didn't come back and said, okay, well, I got spanked on that one. So now I'm going to say you just can't carry in parks and playgrounds places where children and parents congregate. And I haven't seen the exact wording, whether it's just parks and playgrounds or it's just some other broad description of places where children and, and parents get together. I don't know. But where does that come from, and, and what's the angle here? Well, apparently somebody on her staff actually woke up after getting this district court opinion and actually went and read the Bruin decision. Because one thing that they said in the Bruin decision is that, yes, there is a right, in fact, a core freedom protected by the Second Amendment of carrying a handgun in public. And then, like they typically do, once they make a ruling like that, they always want to throw out, a couple of caveats and say, okay, but you know, don't get too carried away with what we're saying here. And here they said, this is not to say that there's a right to carry in all places and longstanding prohibitions 
in area in sensitive areas, that was the language in the Bruin decision, sensitive areas have long been upheld in this country. So what are they talking about? Talking about schools, talking about airports, talking about prisons. Places where for generations in in this country, there likely been limitations, restrictions that have been upheld on the right to carry a gun. So what New York did immediately after the Bruin decision, because again, this was smacking New York around on their May issue licensing system. Like the the, the governor of, 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 of New York and the mayor of New York City came out and said, well, every damn place in public is sensitive. There you go. And there have already been additional lawsuits filed over that. And then they tried to come out and say, well, okay, all publicly owned land and, you know, in, in New York City, Times Square, and they, they were going on. And I just listed all these places. And under the, with the Supreme Court ruling in Bruin, we can get away with that because we're declaring them sensitive. Well, that's not how that works. You can't just declare them sensitive. Sensi- There's nothing magical about the word sensitive. It's there are certain restrictions on where you can't carry a gun that have long been upheld in this country. Supreme Court just used a a descriptor of those places to call them by that term. But there's nothing magical about that. Sensitive. Instead, are, are, are those areas places where restrictions have long been upheld in this country. That's the next battleground after the Bruin decision, which is what truly is a sensitive area where regulation of firearms is all right, even under the Bruin decision. But that's where the New Mexico situation is going because that's what she now thinks she can get away with by saying, aha, sensitive areas. Interesting thing, but that and you're going to see more and more litigation on this uh, and uh, in other jurisdictions as well. Right now, that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you come back. Sky Relford on 93 WYBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it, but make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for the Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.